0: Meredith. Good morning, Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. Good Is God with us? Yeah. Amen. Remember, we are Emmanuel Church. That means God with us. And Christ will only be as present in Graham, Washington, as we choose to represent Him. We're the body of Christ. Therefore, if we want him to be in this region, if we want him to be in this community, we must represent him and speak his words to others and act like him in front of others. And yes, I just have to say that women's Bible study is a great study. So my wife tells me uh, she's a part of that study. She very much enjoys it, not just for the community, but for what she learns in the studies. And I like it because it means that sometimes on Thursday mornings, I get to have Anna, my little daughter. Uh, hang out in the office with me while I do sermon prep, and that's a really special morning. So let's dive in, uh, let's get ready to pray as we begin our time of worship in God's Word. And I just want to remind you as I get ready to pray for our message this morning, that when I'm praying up front, this is an opportunity for all of us as a church family to be praying silently during this next minute or two. Uh, Whether it's you praying in your own words silently to the Lord while you hear me praying, you could do that. Or if you don't know what to pray, you can listen to me or whoever else during a service is up front. And if you hear things in the prayer that you agree with, you can say to the Lord, amen. Yes, that's my prayer too. That's why we pray during a church service. It's not just because it's tradition. It's because we are actually trying to lead and guide us as a church family to collectively be praying together. So let's collectively pray together as we get ready to look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, may you bless us this morning, and may you encourage us and convict us with your words. Lord, we know that these are not just normal words. We don't just read them and remember them because they're cute or because um, we find them merely encouraging. We have such a high value, Lord, of these words because of the source of these words. These words come from you. They are God-breathed from you alone. And because of that, the words of Scripture have high value to us. So we thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us uh, in your word. May you open up our eyes. May you soften our heart. May you give us attention and focus this morning to learn more about who you are from your word so that we may better represent you as the body of Christ here in Grand Emanuel. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, a couple years ago, there was a study that was done across different countries all over the world. And the study was to research the different ways that different people suffered. So, questions would be asked across different continents, in different countries, to different people groups, both in first world and third world countries, and they were called to rank and describe the ways in which they suffer in life. And you can imagine some of the places where these questions were asked mentioned some very hard things, some very extreme forms of suffering, like The loss of a child, or death in childbirth, or the government coming and seizing your property, or not having access to medicine or to health care that you need. Those were some of the examples of the ways that people suffered in other parts of the world. What I'm now going to read for you is a list of the top ten ways that people listed suffering Here in the United States, buckle up people, (laughs) a long line at the coffee shop, forgetting your phone charger at home, running out of hot water, important emails going to the spam folder, having to use 4G cellular uh, connection on your cell phone as opposed to 5G. A closet full of clothes, but nothing to wear. I'm just reading them here. Not being able to fast forward live TV. (laughs) Wanting to log into an online account, but not remembering the password. Not having Wi-Fi. Being left on hold when you call a company. And the number one way, the number one example of suffering that Americans listed Was having a runny nose. We as people, we don't like to suffer, do we? Whether it's in big ways or whether it's in small ways, we are averse to suffering. And there's nothing to feel guilty about concerning that. We have been designed, we have been made to think of ways that we can avoid pain and ways that we can avoid inconvenience and suffering. And that is not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing when our aversion to suffering leads to selfishness or self-centeredness or pride where forgetting your phone charger at home on your way to work ruins your whole day and makes you grumpy and unkind. It makes you return home to your family and be mean to your wife and to your kids. That's when a love of comfort and an aversion to suffering can become in itself sinful. When we think that our life is ruined simply because we can't fast-forward live TV and it results in anger, It results in bitterness towards other people and other things. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to suffer, but there is something wrong with making an idol out of your comfort. And perhaps there's no better example of people idolizing their comfort than Christians who attend American churches. In fact, as churches here in the United States, we love to build our church in such a way that we can convince newcomers that they can come to church in a most comfortable manner as possible. We try to make everything set up in such a way that we can have people come through the door, have that nice hot cup of coffee, sit in that nice comfy chair, listen to a nice comfy message with nice comfy songs, not feel convicted Not feel bothered, not feel judged, but to just feel nice and comforted and not having to suffer in any way, shape, or form. Now, don't get me wrong. I drink coffee every Sunday morning, and I like comfy chairs. I think it's good that we present and do our best as a church to be welcome to newcomers, but we can never allow a desire to be welcoming impact the way that we preach or impact the way that we worship, or impact the way that we treat each other, because ultimately that desire for comfort will ultimately lead to a kind of church where people and attenders are God and not Jesus Christ, where the choices that we make as a church are dependent on what will make people happy, what will make them comfortable, and what will prevent people here in the church from suffering lest they leave and find another church where they can be happy. In fact, it's probably very likely that people have changed churches because they felt like the church that they left caused them to suffer. They told them something they didn't want to hear, something didn't work out their way, a program happened that wasn't their favorite, or X, Y, and Z didn't line up perfectly to suit their taste. therefore, They decided that it would be better to go to a church where they didn't have to, in their words, suffer on Sunday morning. What we're going to look at today in Colossians is the fact that Paul, when he thinks about Christianity, when he thinks about the church, he sees suffering as a key component of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a local church. And so for us here this morning, we also have to learn what does it actually look like for Christians to embrace suffering as part of the Christian life as, as opposed to rejecting it in a sinful way. Therefore, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking in verses 24 and 25 this morning. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. And as you're turning there, I believe we might have a slide on the screen of an outline just to remind us, as we're coming to the end of chapter 1, what we've covered thus far. This is a letter, even though we're looking at it microscopically, verse by verse and phrase by phrase, this was a letter that would have likely been read in one sitting on a Sunday morning at the church in Colossae. And what we've covered thus far over these past few months has been Paul's greeting to the Colossians, His words of thanksgiving for the ways that their uh, vertical salvation, their walk with the Lord is having a horizontal impact on others. We spent the last few weeks looking specifically at the hymn to Christ, this ancient song describing the person of Jesus. And over Easter in these past couple weeks, we looked specifically at a reminder that Paul gave as he shifted the focus from Christ to you, as he put it and you talking about the gospel, about reconciliation, and the need to receive that by faith. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 1, we are going to come into a section that actually ends the chapter and bleeds into chapter 2. Remember, there were no chapter numbers when Paul originally wrote his letter. That came later in medieval history, in the history of the church. Paul is now, for these next few verses, he is going to describe his own ministry. He is going to, like someone would write in a letter, talk about the things that he has endured, the things that he is going through as a believer, and why he's going through them. This is a very common thing that Paul would do in his letters. Oftentimes, when Paul focuses on biography... When he pauses to talk about what's happening in his life, that usually shows some kind of transition. In a world before chapter numbers and heading breaks, Paul pausing his teaching to talk about his personal life was a way to pause and transition and prepare the Colossians to focus on the next round of teaching that was about to happen. That's the section that we're in right now at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And maybe you remember me saying this at the beginning of our series in Colossians. But remember, there's a difference between descriptive language and prescriptive language. Prescriptive language in Scripture is, thou shalt not, thou shalt. It's the commands. It's the things that specifically the Bible is saying, this is what you should do. There are other examples in Scripture where it's simply describing what is true of another person perhaps as a model for what to do or what not to do. What we see here in Paul is descriptive language. He's an apostle, so his experience is slightly different from us. There are no apostles today. We are just disciples, not apostles. But what Paul has to say about his own life, and specifically his own suffering, is going to describe for us a model of how Christians should today should also consider suffering. And so what I am going to do, I'm actually going to read verses 24 and 25 this morning, and I want you to open up in your Bible. Everyone should have either their app on their phone or their tablet or their own copy of the Bible available to them. Why don't you just even hold it up? Did you guys bring your Bible this morning? Yeah, bring your sword. Yeah, we want to have our sword here on Sunday morning. I believe we're even ordering Bibles that we're going to have available if you happen to not have a physical copy of the Bible. We'll have one available to you. This is battle. This is spiritual battle we're doing, and we want to bring our sword. So read along with me as I read out loud verses 24 and 25. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. "...for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known." The big idea for this morning that is going to summarize these two verses that we are then going to break down for the rest of our time this morning is this, that as Christians, based on Paul's example here, you should have an attitude that is willing to suffer for the sake of serving the church. That's our big idea, that this passage, the summary of it, is Paul is describing his willingness to suffer For the sake of serving the church. That's going to be the point that we need to remember this morning. That's going to be the point that we need to be willing to take home with us as we reflect on worship service, as we reflect on church. That we are called to suffer for the sake of serving the church. And Paul is going to break that down in three major ways. The first thing that we need to remember for this big idea as we continue to write it down, suffer for the sake of serving the church. The first point is going to be this, that we are called to rejoice in our suffering. And the nice thing is that this first point comes directly from Paul's words in verse 24. Read them with me. Paul says that now I rejoice in, in my sufferings for your sake. You need to remember that Colossians is famously known as one of the prison epistles. It was called that because Paul wrote this letter along with Philippians and Ephesians and Philemon. He wrote this from prison in Rome. He himself was in chains He was bound because of his Christian ministry, yet that did not stop him from writing letters of encouragement to these other churches. Paul was a person who had suffered in major ways. And in fact, just to get us to use our Bible a little bit this morning, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, just so we can see an example of the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about here. Most of us know that Paul was in prison. Most of us are familiar with the fact that he wrote letters, not all of them, but some of them from house arrest in Rome. But as we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, I want us to go here and maybe perhaps even highlight these verses. This, is, this will be a good paragraph for you to keep in mind as you think about the life and ministry of Paul. These are powerful verses where Paul describes exactly the kind of suffering in which he is rejoicing. This is the kind of suffering that Paul says that he endured in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is what he says. He says, Are they servants of Christ I am a better one. You may think, wow, that's pretty bold of Paul. And he admits right afterwards, he says, I am talking like a madman. But he's trying to make a point. With far greater labors, he says, far more imprisonments. This is what he says in verse 23. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And we complain when the curtains aren't the right color. (laughs) Isn't that amazing to look at the kind of suffering that Paul had endured as an apostle of Jesus Christ? That is a paragraph worth highlighting. Because it's worth remembering whenever we, in a local church, can become frustrated or angry when things don't go our way or when people say things or do things that hurt us or bother us, to remember the kind of suffering that Paul endured. And not just the fact that he endured it, but specifically he says that he rejoiced in his suffering. The question is, is why though? Why would Paul be willing to rejoice in his suffering? He finishes off that idea later on in verse 24, going back now to Colossians chapter 1. He says that now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, he's writing to the Colossians. For the sake of other believers, for the sake of brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul is suffering and he's not just rejoicing in the fact that he's suffering. But he's also rejoicing specifically because he wants to bless other Christians. You have to understand the two specific ways that Paul is describing his rejoicing. He's rejoicing because he knows that the reason he's suffering is because he's obeying Christ. The reason he's suffering is because he's serving other Christians. In that way, he knows that he can rejoice. But he's also rejoicing because he knows that it's better for his brothers and sisters in Christ for him to have a good attitude as opposed to a bad attitude. Isn't it interesting when you walk into a room and someone comes in and you can tell that they're grumpy? You can tell that they have a bad attitude, that they're angry about something, and how that can totally just take hostage the entire situation without a word being said how that can really bring down everything else that's happening. That happens in churches all the time. That happens in home groups, in Bible studies. That happens in Sunday school classes. It happens in meetings. Instead of wallowing in his suffering, instead of being bitter in the hardship that Paul had to endure, he chose instead to rejoice in it for the sake of encouraging other people. There are several other verses that describe this. Acts chapter 5 verses 40 and 41 specifically talk about the apostles who had been beaten and they were charged not to speak. But look at that second half of the paragraph that when they left the presence of the council, look at what they did. After being beaten, it says that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They're bruised, they're bleeding, they're humiliated, they're being cast out. And what are they doing? They're rejoicing. They're thankful for the fact that they are able to serve their Lord and their God and that God is willing to bring them and give them endurance even through hard things. Do we have that same attitude when we suffer in a local church? Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 describe suffering this way. Paul says to the Romans, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The reason why we can rejoice in our suffering is because we know that there's a better home waiting for us. There's a future grace, there's a future home, just like what was talked about in our sermon last week. This future-focused faith, because of that, we can suffer with gladness because we know that no pain, no gain. We see this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Look at how Paul talks about his affliction there, but he ends by saying that he is overflowing with joy. Do not underestimate the importance of a good attitude in honoring God and loving each other within a local church. Churches become a miserable place to be, and they are not very effective when they are full of people with bad attitudes. When they are full of people with bitterness, with anger, with a victim mentality that says, well, I serve, but other people don't serve. Well, I come every Sunday, but they don't have the programs that fit me and my family. I wish other people gave as much as I did. I wish people would listen to my opinions for once because I know how things ought to be. No one, exp- no one respects me. No one ever wants to listen to me. A church that is full of those kind of people is a church that is full of idols, Every idol being an individual person and them insisting on their way. And that is not a true Emmanuel church because God is not present there. Because no one's concerned about making Christ known, they're all concerned with making themselves known. But when we choose to rejoice in our suffering, we are putting the focus on Christ Because we're reminding each other, hey, sometimes church is hard. Sometimes church family is hard. But we're going to endure it together because we're here for Jesus. We're not here for ourselves. And because of that, we can suffer for the sake of serving the church. The first way that we can do that is by rejoicing even when we suffer. Even when hard things happen in a local church. Here's the second point, though, that we need to look at this morning. That our second heading for today is that specifically, we should also relate to Christ in our suffering. That we should relate to Christ in our suffering. Another way of putting that would be that when we suffer, we should recognize that we are doing something similar to what Jesus did. That we are taking part in the ministry of Christ that he has called us to as his ambassadors. Jesus made it very clear to his disciples That if they were truly going to follow him, it was going to mean that they were going to suffer like him. In Luke, Jesus told his disciples that if you follow me, you must pick up your cross. Jesus also told the disciples, he asked them if they were willing to drink from the same cup that he was going to drink from, referring to his own crucifixion. And most of the disciples did. Most were martyred, some themselves were even crucified. Following Jesus Christ and representing Jesus Christ implies, it means without exception, that in some way, shape, or form, you are going to suffer for the sake of Christ. And again, we know that there is real suffering happening in other parts of the world. We know that we have missionaries and we have underground churches where there is true, genuine, physical suffering that they have to endure and we pray for them. But it's okay to also acknowledge that in our first world church, there are also times where we suffer. That it is legitimate to recognize that sometimes people in a local church do hurt you. Sometimes there are things that happen in a local church that are genuinely hard. Sometimes you don't have the programs that perfectly fit what you want or what you need. And that in itself can be a legitimate form of suffering even though we may acknowledge it is a first world form of suffering compared to what other churches are doing. That doesn't mean that we are not still called to suffer in these specific ways even though they may be small. We should still look to the lessons that Paul shows here because look at what Paul says next. He says that he's rejoicing in his suffering for the sake of other believers, for the sake of the Colossians, But then look at the next phrase. He says, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, for most of you, I'd imagine this would be a somewhat dangerous verse to read. That reading a phrase like this may cause you to raise your eyebrow. Wait a second. That there is something that is lacking in Christ's affliction? That there's something that somehow is lacking in the cross? How could that be? Well, you're right. We should not understand this phrase to mean that the cross or the death of Christ is in any way insufficient for any of us. In fact, 1 John 2, verse 2, makes it very clear that Jesus is the propitiation for the whole world. When Jesus died, he said that it is finished. The death of Jesus is sufficient to save anyone who responds to it by faith. There is nothing lacking in the salvation work of Jesus on the cross. But what we must also remember is that Jesus went up to heaven and then gave us his Holy Spirit. That there was more work that he intended to do on this earth but that Jesus made it clear that the work that he was going to do now after the cross was going to be done through his body of the church, that was going to be equipped by his Holy Spirit, and that there was still the work of making disciples and going to the ends of the earth and teaching and baptizing. That was a work that still remains, even to this day, unfinished, that Christ intends to do And that he intends to do through local churches who are believers, who are indwelled by his spirit, and who are imitating him. That's the way that Christ is doing his work today. And just as Christ had to suffer on the cross for the work of salvation, Christ is also going to continue suffering through the local church for the sake of sanctification or spiritual growth of the fulfilling of the Great Commission. That Christ is going to continue to suffer, not on the cross, but through other believers who are suffering for the sake of building up each other. That is what Paul is talking about here. That Paul is topping off, you might say, is another way of putting it here. He is adding to the suffering that Christ has done for your sake. He is continuing that pattern for the sake of the Colossians growing spiritually in the faith. Do you have an attitude towards your church family that you come to church and you are a part of Graham, Graham Emanuel so that you can suffer like Christ for the sake of other brothers and sisters in Christ growing spiritually? Do you have that attitude? I think most of us when we think about church, we think of church as something that we go to so we can grow spiritually, so we can be fed, and of course that is true. But Paul is setting a model here that actually goes deeper than that. That we are called to imitate Christ by dying to self, by putting others' interests above our own, by being willing to suffer, and by being willing to take on the form of a servant, even to the point of the cross, for the sake of lifting up and equipping and blessing our church family so that they can grow. This looks like people who sacrifice their time to teach Sunday school to children. Or those of you who take time to serve in a wana or to lead a Bible study or even to take time to come to Bible study. Do you know that even attending church in of itself, don't tell me that when that alarm goes off on Sunday morning that you don't feel a little bit of suffering as you roll out of bed. That is suffering that you are doing for the sake of your church family. And as small and as frivolous and maybe even silly as it may sound, you are imitating Christ when you choose to roll out of bed so that you can bless others with your presence when you sing and worship together as a church family. You're doing that for them. And you say, oh, getting out of bed, this is so hard. Coming to church, oh, this is so difficult. You could remind yourself that Christ suffered in even deeper ways for you. And that because Christ was willing to suffer even to the cross... We can be willing to suffer for others by showing up, by serving, by having a good attitude, by praying for others, by giving financially, and by being a part, not just an attender, of what this local church is. When we do that, we are relating to Christ and we are following Christ's example. I have a couple of examples of that. Let's quickly go through some verses. Paul talks about having the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Let's go to the next one. In 2 Timothy, Paul himself is about to be executed. But again, all he talks about is that he is suffering for the gospel, that he's suffering for the sake of the elect, that he's suffering for the sake of his brothers and sisters in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, we see him continue this, saying that just as we share in Christ, we share in his comfort, we also share in his suffering. That we should see church as an opportunity for us to imitate Christ even in our suffering for the sake of others. And let's now go to the third point as we end, that our third heading is that we should, and this is really a culmination of everything that we've talked about up to this point, Our third point is that we should recognize suffering as service. Paul describes this in verse 25 when he calls it his stewardship. He says that this is what he became a minister for, according to the stewardship. Another word for that would be the management. It's the same word that we get commission from, for the great commission, The the stewardship that has come from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. You should understand church, the local church, as something that has been entrusted to you. That it is a stewardship. Just like a slave is given management of a master's household, that God has given each and every one of you a small way to manage and steward and serve the local church for his glory and for his name, not for your glory and not for your name. Paul models what it looks like to be a healthy church member by understanding that sometimes church is not always fun. Sometimes there are arguments. Sometimes there are frustrations. Sometimes there are legitimate sins within the church that hurt you. But then we can remember that Christ himself was also hurt and that Christ himself also suffered. And he didn't do so bitterly, he didn't do so with a woe is me attitude. He did it as Hebrews chapter 12 describes for the joy set before him, he did it joyfully. Therefore, we should have a type of attitude towards a local church that is willing to endure, that is willing to bear with one another in love, that is willing to suffer with each other. And some of you, we need to suffer for. Oh, that was supposed to be a joke, but I guess you guys were feeling convicted. (laughs) But we need to be willing to suffer for each other, are we not? Because remember, the people that you're thinking about right now that you need to suffer for, that you need to bear with, they may be thinking about you. But as a church, we glorify God when we see church not just as something to come where we can be comforted, not just something to come where we can be happy, where we can have our way, but where we can make Christ known, where we can do the work of Christ by building up each other and by serving each other, even if that involves suffering, because we know that there is joy and there is a future hope in heaven where there will be no sorrow, there will be no sin. And once again, we will all be together in the kingdom of God where he alone is king. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, may you convict all of us as we think about church, as we think about this local church that we are members and attenders of. Lord, may you convict us by your spirit to perhaps confess and repent of the ways that we have been sinful in our attitudes, in the way that we have been sinful in our thoughts towards other people, in the ways in perhaps that we have been self-centered and had a first-world problem mentality towards ourselves as Christians and what we think church should be, by your Spirit, may you weed that out of us. May you surgically cut that out of us. And the people that we need to confess to, may we confess. May the people that we need to repent to, may we repent. Lord, may you make all of us active and willing and joyful members of this body here in Graham because we know that we serve together for the glory and in command of the head, which is your son, Jesus Christ. So it's in the name of the head, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. I'd like to ask you to stand. I'm going to send you out with a verse this morning. This is an example of a benediction. Benediction means a good word to send us out, and what better example of a good word than from Scripture itself. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go in peace.